This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast with me, Tom Ward, and I'm joined this evening by Andrew Greasley and a very special guest, Rob Gurney. Rob was an iconic Sky Blue voice for over 12 years through a fantastic era for the club, commentating on some very special CCFC games for both Mercia and CWR. Rob, thanks for joining us this evening to share your Sky Blue story with our listeners. No problem, Tom. Looking forward to it. Going right back to the start, Rob, uh, what was it like growing up as a Sky Blues fan? Uh, it was something special, really. I mean, I had the choice, really, through my dad. My late dad was a, a big Spurs fan, um, and he mm. grew up supporting the the double-winning side of the, the very early 60s, you know, the 60-61 team, the Tottenham side that won the double. So when I started showing an interest in following football like in the late 70s he kind of gave me a choice then we, we went sort of around various um, Midlands grounds if you like but my first ever live game was at Highfield Road it was um, 29th of September 79 mm. against Spurs and it was a 1-1 draw um, Ian Wallace scored for um, for City and I was just you know captivated from from then on really and I, I figured that as, as we lived Locally, I'd get the chance to to see City a lot more if I started following them rather mm. than, um, you know, following my, my dad's team, Tottenham. I've always got a you know soft spot for, for Spurs, always have had and always will do, I think. But um, but City, once I stepped into Highfield Road for the first time, I knew that uh, the City was my club, really. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people did sort of catch the bug, didn't they, by going to Highfield Road and... It's good to hear that, you know, there was a big layer of some of the bigger clubs like the Leeds and Tottenham's and Liverpool's of this world. But good to hear that, you know, Highfield Road really sort of drew people in. Yeah. And, and I mean, I always remember, I mean, I was I was 10 years old at the time and I've got a, a framed programme um, in, in my house to this day from from that particular game, because I always remember 
we went to, into the West Stand for the first time, me and my dad. That was that was where we watched the uh, first ever game from. And I just remember coming up the steps and just coming to the top of the stairs and thinking how enormous everything was. That was the thing. I mean, having seen mm. football on, on telly um, previous to that, just coming into a, a football ground for the first time and just seeing the pitch at Highfield Road for the very first time, there was just something about it that was, that was just, it was magical really. And, mm. and I just, you know, I just thought how enormous it was as a, as a young lad. I just couldn't believe how big it was having only seen it on a, on a little box, you know, before in, yeah. the, in the corner of the living room. But, um, but from that moment I was, I was hooked and that's what 40 getting off of 41 years ago now. And you touched on there, Rob, that you used to uh, stand or uh, seat in the uh, West Stand. Yeah. Was that the only place you used to stand, or did you like used to like go around all four stands, or did you was you just in the West Stand from day one? Uh, we went went in the West Stand initially, and then I had mm. um, a seat. We went to a few more games um, for the next sort of couple of seasons. I mean, I, I saw. Um, one or two matches, like when when in I think nineteen. 19- 80 there or thereabouts the the Leeds fans were kind of tearing up the the seats in the in the yeah. old sky blue stand I remember that yeah. I was at that game um, and that was that was quite frightening in a way but um but we had a season ticket um for for a few seasons after that me and my dad in the west terrace so we went mm-hmm. underneath the, the west stand so we were um we were behind that goal for uh, for a long time um, and that's where I watched most of my football as as a kid was uh, was in the West Terrace. We'd watch the the occasional game from from other parts of the ground, but that was kind of my my spiritual home. As I say, we had we had a season ticket for for quite a few years going into to my teens, me and my dad, and it was uh, it's just a, a fantastic experience, you know, to to share that with him. We went away as well on the. On the coaches, we used to get the uh, the coaches from from Paul Meadow to yeah, to away games. We did that for for two or three seasons as well. So we went um, we went home and away, and it was just you know it wasn't a great time per se for watching football because obviously obviously people associated football fans you know automatically with uh, with hooliganism, and there were mm. one or two. Um, episodes where you know you were herded around like like cattle in in those days, really back in the back in the eighties to uh, to games, particularly away from home. Um, but I I just used to really enjoy, it. you know, I really got um, bitten by the bug, and it was mm. it was a fantastic experience. I always look back on on that time in the late seventies and early eighties with a great deal of, of fondness because um, you know I spent a lot of of happy times with with my dad doing that really. Yeah, brilliant family uh, memories there, Rob. Um, what was your favourite Sky Blues game at Highfield Road, if you could choose one? Like with all these things, it's really difficult to to narrow it down. But the what the one game I think that that stands out above any other in my childhood is um, December '83 when we beat Liverpool four 0 at um, Highfield Road, and that yeah. was when Liverpool were absolutely at the peak of their. But you know they were the. Yeah. You know the Chelsea, the Man City, the the Man United, if you like, um, mm. of their day back in the back in the early eighties. They were just a, a phenomenal team. They were multi champions of Europe even at that stage um, in in their history. And for City to demolish them four nil was was absolutely incredible. I remember Terry Gibson um, yeah. getting a hat trick. I remember Nicky Platnow scored in the in the first minute. And I always remember. 
um, Terry Gibson's hat trick goal because that was mm. at the at the West End. It, you know, Lawrenson and Hanson were, were just two of the best centre halves anywhere, basically in this country at that time. And uh, and Gibbo got between the two of them and uh, and sent it over Bruce Grobelar's head for his hat trick. Yeah. And that was just an unbelievable moment. And at that stage, I think City were were fourth in the old first division then. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as was always the case, it seemed back in the day, they seemed to to fall away um, after Christmas. But that really stands out as a, an amazing experience as a you know as a teenager watching that game when we we beat Liverpool four 0 back in eighty three. Yeah, we had Gibbo on on the podcast a few yeah. a couple of months ago, and he mentioned how special that game was, and yeah. and it was live on BBC. It was on Match of the Day, wasn't it? It was. It was yeah, in, I remember. Yeah, um, I remember watching it in in the evening and kind yeah. of almost rubbing my eyes in disbelief that I'd I'd actually seen that happen earlier in the day. But uh, yeah. but yeah, that that was as I say, just phenomenal. It was a, a great day, fantastic mm. day. Also iconic Motson commentary. Wasn't it yes. on the on the match of the day? It was a it was yeah, a brilliant was. brilliant day. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, him and Barry Davis were the oh. uh, were the icons of, of of the day back in the uh, back in the eighties. And uh, yeah, it was it was tremendous. It was a you know a great time to be a, a Sky Blues fan. As I say, things later on in that season didn't go according to plan, and we we only scraped through uh, to staying up yet again. But mm. um, but that particular occasion. Um, is a, a fantastic one to look back mm, on. Brilliant. And um, a photo emerged on Twitter a few weeks ago of you yeah. behind the goal at Wembley in '87. Um, how old were you for that, Robin? And, and you know how special was that day? Yeah. Well, that I mean that that is for any City fan that w- that was around in that era. I mean that goes down as as number one. There's, mm. there's no there is yeah. nothing to beat winning the FA Cup. That there, there really isn't. You know that that just is the most outstanding memory that you can have as a, a city supporter. And I was very lucky. I was very early on in my broadcasting career. Then I was fortunate enough to have left school at, at 16 and, and basically went to, to Mercia um, on work experience that summer in 1985 um, and never went away. You know, I'd kind of made myself busy around the place and mm. I'm, forever indebted to uh, to Stuart Linnell. I mean, he gave me the, you know, the break right at the beginning of, um, of, of my career. As I say, I was only 16 when I, I left school and I'll always be grateful to, um, to Stuart. And that was a couple of years later. That was in, in 87. I was 18 then. So um, there was Stuart, Mike Liggins was the, the other guy that was commentating on City at the time, mm. and Ian Woods, who went on to uh, to be the, the chief correspondent and, and one of the yeah, of uh, big cheeses on Sky News, yeah. um, he was our pitch side reporter um, that day, and I was basically his bagman. So I was kind of carrying all the <laughs> the equipment around, but it meant that um, that I got to to watch the cup final from uh, behind the goal, from behind that. Uh, that Milo advertising yeah. board. And it, it, it was strange, really, because, I mean, we were at the Spurs end, as everybody knows now, we were at the Spurs end. And, um, and when Lloyd McGrath obviously aimed that cross for uh, for Gary Mabbott's knee, you can see um, Woodsy and I both going up, you know, <laughs> instinctively behind the goal when we saw it a few weeks ago when uh, I think ITV showed it, didn't they? Yeah. As, uh, as one of their classic matches on a Saturday afternoon. That's where the... The Twitter photo came from, and I was sat there in my 
we striped 87 shirt watching it, but you can see us throw our arms up in the air instinctively. And uh, there's all the Spurs fans, obviously, um, behind us because uh, we were at the wrong end. But um, but no, that that again, I, I remember everything about that game as though it was as though it was yesterday. Really, it was just mm-hmm. a, an unbelievable experience as a you know as a kid of 18 to be thrown into the, the heart of something like that and to go like go in the dressing room afterwards I was privileged enough to do that I've got one or two um sort of the champagne corks that were just lying about on the dressing room floor <laughs> things like that I've got one or two of them um as uh, part of me, me memorabilia I mean, I've got a ridiculous amount of um of city memorabilia from from over the years really but it's little things like that that mm. i mean no one else knows what they are but but i know what they are so it, it, it you know all that kind of thing it was just an overwhelming um emotional experience that 24 hours and the the 24 hours after that because i was driving one of the the mercia kind of promotional cars in the parade um that happened the day afterwards and that was just as special for me as being there at Wembley on the on the day itself, you know, we're crawling through the the streets of Coventry, getting back to the the council house for mm. um, for the team's official reception and everything. It was just, again, it's something that will will live with me hopefully till till my dying day. It was just a, an incredible yeah. thing to be part of, and, and any of us that were around back then um, know how special it was and. Other than doing a Leicester and, and winning the Premier League, I don't think it'll it'll be topped in any of our lifetimes unless, mm. as I say, we do happen to <laughs> to do a Leicester and, and win the Premier yeah. League title one day. Well, the way Robbins is going, you never know. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that's very true. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Great that you got to be so, so um, up close and personal as well on the day. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. Sort no, of different perspective, fantastic. I guess, to a lot of people. Yeah. No, um, it, it was incredible, really. It, you know, we went down the night before. We stayed in a hotel. We went to Wembley. You know, got in the. I mean, I, again, I've been to Wembley a couple of times on school trips before that to to England games. But to be there when my team was was playing at Wembley, you know, under the Twin Towers, again, a huge surge of, of emotions on uh, on that day. It was just just phenomenal to be to be involved. To be fair. Mm. Brilliant. And you talked a little bit there about sort of getting in into the sort of media side of things quite yeah. early on. How did your sort of career progress from there into sort of commentary and, and other things? Well, as I, I said to you fellas just now, I mean, I owe, I owe Stuart Linnell a, a massive debt of gratitude. I mean, he spotted something in me. I don't know what it was, but um, he, he saw a little spark. I think I, when I first went there, I, he kind of was talking to me about the sky blues and, and my knowledge of the sky blues. And I think that sort of um, struck a bit of a chord with him. Um, so then I started out doing a bit of, of news and sport combined really in my, in my late teens. In fact, that cup final season, 86, 87, um, I did some non-league reporting. I kind of followed the Neaton Borough around the country and what was the, the Vauxhall conference back then in the, uh, in the late eighties. Mm. So when, City were, were getting to Wembley. I was um, I was following the, the borough around the country, um, and then it came to pass that um, in the late eighties, eighty nine, um, the opportunity arose to to go into sport full time. And you know, I couldn't believe it. I was I was twenty years of age. 
um, back then, and I was kind of, you know, living living the dream, if you like, <laughs> at that early early stage in my career. And I, I did from April '89. Derby away was my first game. I think it was on April Fool's Day, actually, in '89. <laughs> April '89. Um, that was my first game, and then I, I, I went on. Um, to do all the the city games then pretty much and through until um, relegation in 2001. So I think across Mercia and then CWR, I did uh, 12 years. I think I missed five games in uh, wow. in 12 years. So it was you know it was a, a kind of a really for me personally, it was a, a really special time to mm. to be involved. You know I was doing first division, which then became Premier League football, and it it, it was. Genuinely, for me, it was it was living a dream back then. It, you know, it really. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but it was for me. It was living the dream, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And what was it? What was the feeling like commentating on your beloved Sky Blues, Rob? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think I was I was very very. I've done a few games, just reporting on a few games before yeah. I'd, I'd gone into the actual commentary side of it i think my first ever city game was a, a full members cup tie um if anybody <laughs> remembers that um away at norwich in the in the late 80s i think it's when the, the, the people that might know that the, the norwich press box isn't where it is now it was like at ground level on the opposite okay. side of, of carrow road so mm. that was quite a baptism trying to you know report on a game at literally um worm's eye level you know from uh, from a you know a, a football ground it was quite an experience um but commentary i do remember feeling very very nervous particularly in those early days because i wanted like i do now really 30 odd years on i, I just want to do it as well as i can every single week you know and and that was that was quite i put quite a lot of pressure on myself mm. um because i like to be well prepared i like to give a good account of of, of what i'm seeing mm. um and i remember i was very nervous in those in those early days but i go back to what i said earlier you know stuart was a, a fantastic um source of of support and uh, and guidance for me and uh, I owe him. I owe him such a lot. I mean, it, it, it's. I never got bored with it. We'll go on to talk about the later years mm. in in a while because that's when things started to get a little bit uh, different for me. Really, okay. my, my opinion. My opinion of the club changed a wee bit as as time went on, particularly in the relegation season i didn't enjoy not just because city were relegated but i didn't yeah. enjoy the whole experience of of being around the club really in that that relegation season but for a period i mean from you know all through the the 90s really uh, okay city flirted with relegation on very many occasions but it was yeah. still <laughs> yeah but yeah. it was still it was still a phenomenal experience to you know to to, to cover the club it, it was amazing and and i never ever lost sight of the fact of how you know what a privileged position i was in mm -hmm. really as as a fan of the club uh since the late 70s to be to be doing what i was doing as a as a job you know i i, I never lost sight of of how incredibly fortunate i i was to be doing that really
And I think that came across in your commentary, Rob. Um, well, thank you. It did, because the way you spoke, the knowledge of your game, you can hear the passion through your voice when you were on, uh, commentating on the Sky Blues. And from my point of view, nothing and nobody has ever come close to you regarding commentary on Sky oh, Blues. That, that, that I feel very, very humbled by that, genuinely. I really do, because that that's, that's all I was trying to achieve, really, was just mm. to convey hopefully for fans who weren't there because that's what you're trying to do on radio it's not like tv mm. commentary is very different and I've, mm. I've had a go at that off tube if you like just trying to do it off the, the television and that's yeah. incredibly difficult nothing beats being in the stadium itself no. and being able to mm. try and describe what you see and that's all i was trying to do was you know it's the old adage with radio commentary really is trying to paint pictures with mm. words and that that's what i was I was trying to do for everybody, but I'd, I'd, I'd feel really humbled by uh, by what you said. Thank you very much. That means a lot, honestly. No, you certainly did that. Um, obviously, when I was growing up, listening to you in the the ninety-five to I think obviously before we got relegated, the O one season, um, I got to a few games, but I couldn't get to every game. And mm. and listening to you on the radio at CWR, you did paint the picture brilliantly. Well, I, again, I, I massively appreciate that. You know that that. From a fellow City fan, that that means that means a hell of a lot. I have to say, pleasure. You mentioned you obviously over twelve years a lot a lot of mm. City games that you you commentated on. Yeah. Do you have a favourite of that time, or is it hard well, to, to narrow one down? Again, I mean, I, I was thinking about this earlier. I mean, narrowing it down, the one that everybody would expect me to say, and it, it's right, was uh, when we we beat Villa at Villa Park yeah, for, that's for the first time commentary, in the FA yeah. Cup. In uh, <laughs> in '98, I mean that was just. I mean, having gone there so many times in the past, both as a fan and a and a reporter, you know, and seen City at the very best get a draw, but more often than not lose. For them to finally do it, you know, and and, and knock Villa out the FA Cup was was just a, again an amazing experience. I mean, we went there and. And won four one. Obviously, everybody remembers that when Gary McSheffrey got on to to be the youngest ever player for mm. a while. Um, when George Boateng and John Aloisi scored a couple of piece, that was uh, the following season. I mean, that was very special as well. Um, the Darren Huckerby, Maisie dribble mm. and scoring against Man United in December '97. That's probably. My favourite goal, I would think, that I've ever mm. commentated on. Um, Peter Unlove's hat-trick at Anfield. I was lucky enough to be there mm. that night when, when Nuddy scored the first visiting player for Lord knows how many years to to score a hat-trick at Anfield. That was special. Um, and when Robbie Keane scored the winner against um, Villa again, that was in, in 99, wasn't it? The town mm. in 99, when yeah. Dion Dublin went back for... For the first time to Highfield Road, and uh, I think I I said at the t- you know as the as the ball went in, are you watching Gregory? And then um, <laughs> the high you know, the whole of the, the West End started it, and then it went all round the ground. Started singing that about two or three minutes later, because of course John Gregory, the Villa manager, yeah. famously uh, wouldn't pay the extra half a million to to Wolves to get Robbie Keane, and uh, and City did, and of course that was a. Uh, tremendous night at uh, Highfield Road, but I think it's a toss-up between Moldovan at Villa Park, the one-nil win in the FA Cup, and uh, Huckabee's goal three-two against against Man United. Those two games, 
Um, I couldn't really separate them if you if you ask me honestly, fellas, to be fair. Fair enough. We'll let you off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Through obviously your commentating, you would have uh, interviewed or had dealings with quite a few of the the Cov City managers. Um, yeah. Gordon Strachan obviously comes to mind because of his wit and sarcasm was was legendary. Yeah. Um, what was he like to to interview? And um, can you give any insight on that, Rob? Well, I mean, I, I I dealt with seven managers really when mm. when I was um, doing City for those twelve years. We started out with John Sillett, but um, he was um, moved on fairly quickly. And Terry Butcher came in. Now I know Butcher was a you know not a great City manager, but for me personally, um, very early on in in my career, I mean, he he was tremendous to me as an individual i mean i was quite in awe of him really because you know he was um former england captain he played Mm. in the world cup in in italia 90 and 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 for you know to suddenly be manager of 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 city was was incredible for me to to process really and he he was a really good i I got on really well with with terry as i say he was he was really good to me early in my career six months of don howe um bobby gould again Goldie, I haven't got a bad word to say about him. He was he was tremendous to to deal with. He recognised the importance of of dealing with the local media, having been the, the city manager before. So me and Adam Dent from the Telegraph um, both got on really well with um, with Goldie. You know, had some tremendous times. Adam will tell you in mm-hmm. uh, in his office um, during the period he was in charge. Phil Neal. Now again, I know he wasn't universally popular with with City fans, but for me, I'll always thank Phil because he recognised the importance of the relationship with the local media. And mm. win, lose or draw, he would always, always, without fail, come up and do a, a live interview after the game yeah. with me um, in the press box. You know, whether that was away from home, at home, and I say no matter what the result, uh, he would always show and and i've got a lot to be thankful for for him for that and and again we we got on for the most part quite well things ended rather um in a sour way with him big ron was big ron i mean (laughs) he's been you know been there seen it done it um at lots of other clubs before he he turned up at um at city but i've got nothing but but praise for him for the way Mm. he embraced what we were trying to do he was always available to talk to um, yeah. We'd have him in on phone-ins. He, he was just, you know, he, he is what he is. He was, a, a, you know, just a hugely charismatic character. And I always remember coming back from a night game at Everton. You, you may remember this, um, guys, in early mm. November '96, um, when it was came out that he was going to move upstairs and yeah. Gordon Strachan was uh, was going to take over. Now mm. I remember that was leaked to the Daily Mirror, um, and Ron got wind of that um, and we were coming back from the night game at Everton we happened to pop into it was either Keel or Sandbach Services or something like that and he was there there's a guy a huge guy called I don't know whether you ever came across him uh, Bobbo he was called Bob Grayson mm. was um, was Big Ron's chauffeur um, and he was there it, you know chauffeuring um, Ron he just parked up at the services and Ron I remember we, we sort of went over and because we got wind of what was coming out the next day and he was absolutely seething with the was way it? that um, that that had leaked out and the way the Daily Mirror reported it and you know they wanted to announce it 
properly the next day that Strachan was going to take over and he was going to move upstairs. But mm. the way the mirror dealt with it, he was he was very, very angry about, I remember. Um, and he wouldn't talk to us on the record, but I got enough from that conversation to... <laughs> Yeah, you know, do quite a, an informed piece um, about the whole situation on the on the breakfast show um, the next day. I think I went on Radio Four and one or two other news outlets as well the next day. So, I don't. In fact, I, it comes to mind. I don't think, even think I went to bed that night. I think I'd, I'd stayed up the, the whole night and uh, you know and, and and prepared for the the pieces the next morning. Um, and then Strachan took over, and, and we had a good relationship. Coming back to your original question, we did have yeah. a good relationship for. Certainly the first few seasons, we had him on once or twice. He'd come in once or twice a, a mm. season with, with me and, and Denty to do the, you know, the Friday night phoning on, on yeah, uh, I remember that, Rob. CWR and Coventry and Warwickshire. Mm. And, he, you know, he was very, very good entertainment. But as I touched on earlier, our relationship, along with the whole kind of atmosphere around the club, soured quite a lot in the, in the relegation season. And I think it was just because... You know, everybody was was under pressure, and the, the deeper that the the club got into the mire, mm. um, the more and more distrustful he got um, of the media generally. And it was it was just a shame because, I mean, we patched things up towards the end, yeah. um, but it was never the same. You know, you know how you know sometimes it is in life with with relationships. Things seem to be going along swimmingly, and then you hit a a major bump in the road and things aren't quite the same again after that. And that was similar with, with me and, uh, and Gordon Strachan, which was a shame because we got on famously um, in the first three or four seasons he was in charge. But, but by the end, um, you know, things were not toxic. That's too strong a word, mm. but, but we weren't very comfortable with one another. And then when he finally, um, got the sack after that um, home defeat by Grimsby very early on in the in the championship season. Then you know we haven't really spoken since. I mean, I've seen him in his ITV punditry role at various yeah. games up and down the country, but we've we've not really had a you know a meaningful relationship. In fact, you know we haven't really spoken since then, and that that's a shame mm. because. As I say, for for the first few seasons he was in charge, we we got on like a, a house on fire. But relegation brought you know an awful lot of um, of pressure that season, mm. and and I think that's um, that's why things turned out the way they did. To be honest, you're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Something I was um, interested in asking about when you're sort of commentating on a, a Coventry game, do you sort of have to kind of take your fan hat off for a second and have your sort of work hat on? And kind of be laser focused focused on the game, or does emotion come into it at times? No, I think it. I mean, it's it's a it's a mixture of the two. I mean, I think I was in the early years. I was quite conscious of the fact of of, of trying not to be a a fan, you know, with a mic really, which is is an accusation that gets thrown <laughs> at a lot of local radio commentators <laughs> up and down the country, really. So I was almost trying too hard to to suppress it a little mm. bit um but i i couldn't really in the yeah, end it must be hard when we score no because it because it you know they're my club and i i care too much about what was happening on the pitch i mean it brings to mind going down at, at villa park really in, in 2001 where you know i'd, I'd 
well, it's completely against press box etiquette, but I was, you know, almost jumping in the air saying, <laughs> get in there when the, when Hadji was was scoring, you know. Yeah. And then we went 2-0 up. God, and, of course, everybody knows what happened after that. Yeah, we it's came horrible. back to win 3-2. And I almost had like a Kevin Keegan moment at Anfield. You remember when <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stan Collymore scored in the in the 4-3 for Liverpool against Newcastle when Merson put that one in the top corner from 25 yards almost, you know, you can almost hear me on the commentary guys slumping over the desk. Cause mm. I knew that, um, that that's, you know, that, that meant the, the end of 34 years in the, in the top flight. I mean, the ironic thing, obviously everybody knows about that day is even if city had won at Villa park, they still had gone down because, yeah, um, exactly. because Derby won at Man United. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I tried to suppress it a little bit, but I think people that, Appreciated, particularly on local radio, people appreciated the fact that I was partisan. I mean, we were there to to see things through, you know, sky blue tinted glasses. That that's what the role of a local radio station is. And I'd like to think that that over the years, I kind of we touched on earlier, brought um, brought that into into people's homes every Saturday or uh, or Tuesday night, really, depending on when they were playing. Yeah, one thing I was going to say with um, refereeing decisions, I'm not sure how you sort of suppressed, you know your feelings then because I know for me personally I tend to lose my head a little bit at the football yeah I mean it's <laughs> it's amazing because I am I am two different people um when I'm I'm working and when I go to to games as a fan and I managed to to suppress my uh ire if you like for for referees quite well <laughs> on the radio I, I don't know it's this sixth sense I've, really. I've so been doing it for 30 years now so I've kind of got this sixth sense of, of how to to suppress criticising referees when I go to a game all that you know comes out the effing and jeffing and everything kind of comes out I can't I can't <laughs> help myself um, so yeah I am I am a bit schizophrenic when it comes to uh, to football I'm, I'm a, one person when I'm behind the mic and I'm definitely yeah. another person when uh, I haven't got a microphone in front of me yeah, dual personality yeah <laughs> <laughs> We touched on earlier um, when you talked about Stuart Linnell and yeah. um, also you mentioned Adam Dent as well. Um, yes. All these famous CWR names are coming <laughs> flooding back to me, uh, Rob. Yeah. Um, also, Jeff Foster as well. Yes. He, he comes to mind as well. You must have spent a lot of time with these yes, guys. Yes, we did. Um, did you forge uh, really strong relationships with these guys? Yeah, I mean, yeah Jeff, Jeff, was, Jeff was terrific with me, he really. I mm. mean, he's one of the hardest working people I've, I've ever come across. Really, he was he was a tremendous fella to be alongside. You know, we would spend hours and hours together on on the road, driving up and down the country to mm-hmm. to various games. Um, and and it's almost that you know you'd be the first person in the office in the morning and the last person out of it in in the evening. You know, we'd we'd forge a you know really strong bonds together. I mean, he goes back further than me. I mean, he's, he goes back to George Hudson and, and the likes of uh, of him back in the, the Jimmy Hill era in the in the 1960s. But, uh, but yeah, Jeff was a, a fantastic foil. And, and like me, he kind of, you know, head and, and kick every ball uh, yeah. while we were, were watching games. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd grab each other. We'd kind of, you know, like... Our bruises all up and down our uh, our arms and legs after after some games where we've been you know so into it. But uh, but no, I've got nothing but but fond memories of Jeff. He was uh, was a tremendous fella to to work alongside, and I say one of the hardest working people I've I've ever come across in in this business. 
I'm talking about bruises and yeah. scars. Let's talk about the Moldovan goal again, um, yes. taking it back to Villa Park. Yes. I remember listening to that game in my bedroom. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember listening. I was on tenderhooks because we hadn't beaten Villa for so long. And, yeah. and then we scored and then there was a silence. And was, I was like, about, what, yeah, what went on there? Five seconds or so. That was because <laughs> um, we, we were getting... <laughs> We were getting used to um, some new equipment that we were we were just getting to grips with, and yeah. um, the the microphone levels had, had been turned up quite loud, and I had underestimated how much the kit could take in terms of me um, losing it, if you like. Um, so it literally overloaded the overloaded the line, wow. and we got it back fairly quickly afterwards. There's an even worse incident than that, though. I don't know whether you're whether either of you were listening at, uh, at White Hart Lane when we, when we stayed up um, in 97, um, because Adam Dent and, and I were doing the, the game. You know, you know the scenario. The other matches had already finished because there was an accident on the M1 on the way mm. down, which we yeah. slightly got caught up in as well. But we were there. Did the game fantastic? You know, we knew City were going to stay up because of the fifteen-minute stagger. Oggy made one of the best saves I've ever seen live from a kid called Neil Fenn mm. um, playing for Spurs at the time. I think I said, you know, Fenn was staring into the whites of his eyes, and Oggy faced him down. How many times have we relied on him this season and in seasons past to keep us up? And he did. And then the minute the final whistle went. Adam and I stood up, elated, and uh, the point where we connect the line was down at ground level. So you can, you kind of, you're ahead of me now. Um, one of us, I still say it was Denty, stood on the line, um, rem- you know, disconnected it, and we didn't because we were so wrapped up in the moment, mm. we didn't realize for at least it must have been 10 minutes probably (laughs) at least and i still say to this day that's probably the 10 the best 10 minutes i've ever done on the radio and only (laughs) me and him heard it because nobody else nobody else could hear it because we disconnected the line but fortunately at villa park i kind of learned my lesson because that was a few months later i'd learned my lesson and uh, we managed to to reconnect pretty quickly but uh but yeah the the experience at, at white art lane will kind of, i'll take that to my grave definitely yeah. i think it's a special <laughs> game that one rob because no one gave us a prayer did they really no. well again that season if you remember mm. um middlesbrough refused to to fulfill a fixture at blackburn correct because they've yeah. got a you know virus had swept through their dressing room or whatever um, Brian Robson took a unilateral decision, the Middlesbrough manager, to um, to not send a team there. They were deducted three points. Had mm. they gone to Blackburn and you know lost eight, ten, fifteen nil or whatever with with a youth team, they'd have stayed up that season and uh, and we'd have gone down. But it was only the fact that Middlesbrough were deducted three points that uh, City had the opportunity to to stay up. So we, do. We, we must admit we've had our, our fair share of uh, of luck down the years. We've had mm. one or two grim times, fair to say, in the, the last 20 years or so. But uh, we've had our fair share of, of reasonable fortune before that, certainly. 
Yeah, we like delaying a kickoff as well, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, well, you know, Sunderland fans have still never forgiven oh, us for 1977. Yeah, yeah. And what's that? For 43 years later now. Yeah. You, should when, see them, uh, you should see them on our Twitter feed, Rob. I know. My yeah, God. I, well, again, for, for people that don't know, it's been drew 2-2 two, two with Bristol City, knowing that, uh, that both teams would stay up having uh, already seen that Sunderland had, had lost to Everton, I think it was, on that night back in 77. But as I say, mm. people on Weir's side have got very, very long memories. It's 43 years ago and they, they still uh, are quick to remind uh, City yeah. followers of it even today, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're passing it down to new generations now. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, um, I hope you've done your homework, Rob, because I'm going to ask you to pick your greatest CCFC 11, but only okay. from players you've commentated on. Well, well, this this has been really hard chaps after so I mean I, I started out with about 20 players I mean there was even a suggestion earlier on today that you're going to m- make me name a five-a-side team I thought blimey I've got absolutely <laughs> absolutely no chance of condensing it into a five-a-side team but um, but I've got I've got me 11 I mean it's got to be Augie in goal for, for yeah. you know reasons we've, we've touched on earlier I mean he's just a, a been a, a phenomenal player you know 601 games for the club he kept us up some seasons almost single-handedly. So, you know, it's no contesting goal. Mm. Um, right back was a bit of a toss-up between Brian Burrows and Roland Nielsen. I mean, I went for Roland Nielsen in the end just because I thought he was, a, again, an overused phrase, but a Rolls-Royce of a player, particularly Definitely. as a defender. I thought he was he was tremendous. And for me, very hard done by as a, as a manager, you know, to get... Yeah. Um, to get sacked in the, the way that he was. Okay, it wasn't a, a phenomenal first season coming back, um, having just been relegated, but um, I, I thought he was quite hard done by to get sacked. Anyway, um, Peter Atherton and Phil Babb were my two centre-halves. I thought they were fairly peerless in their day and, and both quite nice guys. I mean, amazing to think that Phil Babb was once Britain's most expensive defender at, what was it, three and a, three quarter million quid after the World Cup in 94 and now it's what Harry Maguire at 80 million quid it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing madness, isn't to think it? how transfer fees have been inflated um, David Burrows who went for at left back um, you know player with a tremendous pedigree a, a really nice guy somebody I got on with tremendously well I mean Stuart Pearce was the best left back I think I ever saw play for, for City but I, he predated me a little bit in, in commentary terms so David mm. Burrows I've gone for at left back um, it's a four-four-two, by the way. Um, Darren Hookerby wide right, yeah. uh, tremendous pace. Okay, he was caught offside a hundred times in a season. I remember that, and uh, we had a little celebration in the press box at Pride Park in Derby when uh, 
he was flagged offside for the hundredth time yeah. uh, in that season, but scored some phenomenal goals. His pace was electrifying. I mentioned it already. The highlight for me uh, was his winner against United in uh, in December '97. Stuart Robson and Gary McAllister I've gone for as the as, as the two in midfield. I mean Stuart Robson, if you remember back in the the early '90s, I mean City were a pretty poor team with one or two exceptions back then. And I think that, that he, you know, pulled the whole club up by its, mm. its bootstraps a lot of the time back in that, that early nineties period. Um, and if it wasn't for him, I mean, we'd have been relegated under Don Howe, I think in, in 92 and wouldn't have been found a members of the, of the premier league the following season. And, and he was again, a tremendous ambassador in his role as, as club captain Stuart Robson. So that's why I've gone for him. McAllister, everybody knows the story with him, uh, signed after Euro 96, but a lot of pressure under himself. I think that for that first season when he came from Leeds with a, with a mm. big transfer fee and everybody knows he was in tears at White Hart Lane at the end of that season. Cause I think he felt a lot of personal responsibility for the fact that, that city were in the, the trouble that they were, um, but emerged from that, I think to be, to be one of the, you know, really terrific midfield players of of, of the Premier League era for for the Sky Blues and uh, and Peter Unlove on the left. I mean, mm, Nuddy yeah. on his day, absolutely unplayable. I mentioned his hat trick at Anfield earlier. I remember he scored a a tremendous winner against um, Villa, and every time almost the ball was at his feet, you expected something to happen. He was that kind of mercurial individual, which is why I went for him. Um, and my front two. Uh, Dion Dublin and Cyril Regis. I mean, again, Cyril yeah. uh, took a while to settle, but then everybody knows what he, he went on to uh, achieve later in his career. And for, for Terry Butcher to to release him was a little bit premature. And the mm. fact that he, he went to, to Villa or when Butcher let him go was, was even more of a, of a bitter pill. But uh, it was a privilege to know him. It really was. And Dion... Again, I know he, there's a lot of baggage surrounding him because of, of how his City career ended. And I understand entirely why some fans feel that way. We're um, refusing to play in the, the League Cup game at Luton to try and force a move to, to Villa, which he subsequently did. But lest we forget, I mean, he was City's top scorer, uh, yeah. captain for, you know, for four successive seasons in the Premier League. And he did an awful lot. He broke into the England squad. He, he could play as a a centre-half at times, as well as a, a centre-forward. So I don't think you can uh, underestimate the, the role that um, that Dion played in, mm. in City's history. And then I had a huge bench as well, boys, of uh, David <laughs> David Speedy, who I thought the absolute world of when it, when, it, when I was first um, commentating on City. I mean, some phenomenal goals that he scored. One chip at... Uh, at Nottingham Forest had me uh, yeah. losing it in the press box at, uh, <laughs> at the city ground when I think we won 4-2 that day. Robbie Keane, what can you say about him? I mean, yeah, he's he, he scored, on for the one season he was there, he was absolutely mercurial. Um, although, never, if you remember, never scored. I don't think he ever scored an away goal. Oh, really? Um, did he score Sunderland? He or, or, or certainly the team didn't win away from home yeah, that, that was season it. he was there. I think yeah. they won something like a dozen games, didn't they, at home, but yeah. didn't win away. Even going to Watford on the last day of that season, we thought, well, it's got to end now because Watford had been relegated and I think they, they ended up winning. But anyway, uh, Keen, Hadji and Chippo, I mean, they had a tremendous impact on things. Yeah. Um, arriving post the, the World Cup. Noel Whelan, 
character. Snowy. Yeah. I see, yeah. <laughs> I see him now because he commentates on matches for uh, for BBC Radio Leeds because mm. obviously started his career yeah, at Leeds, course, and yeah. ended up at, uh, at City. So I have a little bit to do with him now. Um, George Boateng, I mean, it was a, again a close call in, in midfield for for him for a short while. He was absolutely brilliant. Kevin Gallagher had a lot of time for him. Again, he does matches for. Um, BBC Radio Lancashire commentating on, on Blackburn Rovers now, so I have a little bit to do with him. And Mickey Quinn, I mean, who could forget the, the impact that, that, that Quinny had on uh, mm. on City during the time that that he was there? You know, 10 goals in his first six games is a, an absolutely unbelievable um, record that uh, that not many strikers, if any, could uh, could surpass these days, never mind, uh, you know, 20, 25 plus years ago. So it's a bit of a... Um, a, a forward heavy bench that one, but uh, but there's some great play. You know, I've had the privilege to watch yeah. some some absolutely amazing players um, wearing the, the sky blue over the years. I really have. Yeah, I was going to say that's uh, it's not a bad team, is it? Really? No, <laughs> <laughs> not a bad team at all. Win a few games, that wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, you'd like to think so. It's certainly. I mean, you know, we well, score a few those, goals, Rob. <laughs> yeah, all of those players in their pomp. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd think that City would go would go pretty close to uh, to winning something with with a with a team like that out these days, mm. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And something you mentioned earlier on was obviously leaving the position. You know, when we got relegated, mm. um, was it a hard decision to leave commentating on the Sky Blues and and going on to BBC WM? It was, but as I hinted earlier, it. it I felt we'd we'd reached a, a natural conclusion with it. Really, I mean, I'd done I'd done twelve seasons, and and the relegation season, everybody was under a lot of pressure. I felt under quite a lot of pressure when I spoke to Gordon Strachan and the players. I could tell that they were feeling under pressure, and I was getting it from from all sides. Really, boys. I mean, the, the club were thinking that I was being too too hard on them and letting the fans get away with a lot that you know I wasn't necessarily um checking on the radio and flip side was fan, some fans not not everybody by any stretch of the imagination but but you know some fans would would have a go at me mm. saying that I was letting the you know the club get away with with too much I mean as a broadcaster that's almost quite gratifying because you you know, if you are sort of treading that line between the two and you're getting stick from all sides, then it means that you must yeah. be doing something right. That's kind of what I'd, I'd said to myself at the time. Um, but it, it, it's almost like, you know, I'd, I'd kind of, I, I wanted to have that um, sort of fascination almost of, of going to the games as a fan again, rather mm. than almost being too close to it and, and knowing, you know, all virtually all the ins and outs of, of what were going on inside the club I didn't really want to know all that really and and as a, relegation seemed a, an appropriate point to kind of draw a line in the sand and 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 move on really and and I just wanted to do something still within football but just something that brought a little bit more variety so there was the opportunity um, BBC WM was was merged with um, with Coventry and Warwickshire as it happened at the time mm. so we were kind of a a larger sports team, so it, it happened that, um, that that Clive was, you know, wanting to to come the other way, and I was happy to to go to you know to to Birmingham and and you know broaden my horizons a little bit by commentating on on other teams in the wider West Midlands. So that's how that all came about. It was a difficult decision, but at the time it felt right, just because I felt that that you know certain 
relationships had, had, had kind of come to their natural conclusion and it was quite going to be quite difficult for me to to pick them up again so that was that was some of the the reasoning behind my my decision really mm. and you touched on um earlier in the uh, podcast uh, Ron, mm. about your relationship with gordon strachan yeah and how it it soured towards the end yeah. was that mainly a reason bef- because of the pressure of relegation or was it a personal clash what what was the reason for that rob um it, it's difficult i mean that there were yes yeah, certain instances again where, where he he felt i think that i was letting people get away with criticism of him mm. um too easily really um and it was it was stuff that we we were never we were never going to agree on i mean there were there were one or two unpleasant incidents i don't really want to go no, into publicly um i mean you know not him necessarily but but gary pendry was kind of his henchman and he would, yeah. he would be the one that would would dish out the the rollickings if you like and and i was subjected to to one particular dressing down at the at the training ground where he was literally pendry screaming in my face from from you know no more than two or three inches away about yeah. stuff that you know I, i'd said on the radio and whatever but again he was a me, big man that, as well was wasn't he Rob? Gary that Pendry. was quite upset it was quite yeah. an upsetting experience for me as, as a fan because all you know all i was trying to do yeah. was tell the story of of you know the football in that particular season but because mm. the the results were were going against the side it, it became very very difficult indeed to find any positives you know and and yeah. and and that was the that was the problem um and they had a, a contrary view and and as i say it, it all got at times quite unpleasant towards the end um yeah. so it, it was it's good for my mental and physical health but purely you know really mental health that that i kind of moved on to cool. to other things really and, and then got the chance later to to appreciate um, matches more as a, a supporter rather than somebody that was that was that close to it, really. Yeah. Give the ref some stick, a bit more stick than you could yeah, do in the press that's box. It. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> the one. Yeah, yeah. And going back to that relegation uh, season, Rob. Yes. Um, talking about not as a as a commentator, as you see it on the pitch, what do you feel the reason why we went down on on in that that season? What do you think the main factor was? Um. It was. It's difficult to say, really. Mm. Even now, thinking back, it's nearly you know twenty years ago. Because um, you look at the, the, the squad on paper, and that they had the talent. I mentioned that you know the Moroccans were yeah were still around. Um, we had John Hartson and Craig Bellamy, didn't we, up front? Um, yeah. for, for Do you think Hartson was bought too late? Few games of that season. I think in hindsight, he probably was. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, had had we managed to get him. You know, a couple of months even earlier, he'd have probably him and Bellamy. Obviously, they're both Welsh, so they had a little bit of, of understanding um, already through that. But I think they, if their partnership had been forged a little bit earlier, then it might have given us an opportunity to to stay up. But we just conceded too many goals and, and gave away, you know, too many points, and, and we're just too sloppy. That's what I kind of reflect on the season and, and, and yeah. remember it um, now. I mean, Chris Kirkland was in goal. I think that was mm. a difficult baptism for for him. I always remember, uh, again, going back to the Villa Park game where 
Um, Paul Williams looks as though he's going to clear it. And then, you know, well, yeah. he, he got a phantom shout. If you remember the goal I'm talking about, he kind of put, literally pulled his foot out of the way at the very last minute, giving Kirtland no time to react whatsoever. And uh, that Darius Vassell scored. That's it, yeah. 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 And then Angel, obviously, you know, Angel scored his first goal for, for Villa after that as well. And and Merson uh, scored the, the 25-yarder at the end. But I just think we were too, we were too sloppy. I mean, if I remember right, I think Strachan made John Eustace the the, cl- the club captain that season as yeah, well. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, again, I got a lot of time for, for John, but for a young player, that was putting him under, a, you know, a yeah. great deal of um, mm. of scrutiny because he was still very early on in his, uh, in his, his Sky Blues career. Um, but you know, there were just too many sloppy mistakes, and and you know too many people uh, collectively um, didn't play well enough uh, for a long enough stretch of that season to to keep us up. I mean, we were the entertainers the, the season before mm. um, when you got Roussel and uh, and Robbie Keane were were up front. We all remember the Arsenal game on on Boxing Day, the uh, you know the previous season, and how fantastic. How fantastic that was! Um, but it, it, I don't know. It, 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 foot, football, particularly like any team sport, particularly is, is a, a real confidence thing. And once confidence starts to drain, it seems mm. to to ebb very, very quickly indeed away from away from a football club. And I think that's what you saw from from City in that season. And, and you know, even though they've got really talented players on paper, that they never consistently delivered well enough to to keep the the club up and as we know it, it's you know nearly 20 years ago and we, we haven't been back to the premier league since but um but hopefully under mark robbins we might have a shout at that in the next year or two fingers, yeah, fingers crossed. crossed yeah definitely yeah will. yeah since obviously leaving um cwr you went to mm-hmm. uh B- BBC WM. Yeah. What's it like? What's it been like covering uh, the Birmingham clubs? And you cover West Brom now, is that right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah. I, I, when I first went there back in the, the early noughties, we kind of were um, put on on various clubs. I did some Villa games, some Birmingham games, some West Brom games, Wolves, Walsall. Um, but the last few seasons, we've we've sort of specialised again in in one particular club. And uh, yeah, I followed fellow uh, the Albion up and down the country um, these days. Uh, it's been a roller coaster ride the, the last few seasons where, where that's concerned. They, they spent eight years in the in the Premier League and then uh, got relegated. Darren Moore nearly brought them back last season, mm. but they lost to, to Villa in the playoffs. And then they brought Slavin Bilic in, who's been just a, you know, a, a phenomenal individual to deal with. Again, a bit like Terry Butcher, as I mentioned earlier. I was a little bit, you know, in awe of him, thinking, you know, this is a, a hugely charismatic, larger-than-life guy. How's he going to take to me? But he's just been a joy. He really has been been a joy to deal with. I've, I've loved every minute in his company. That's why this lockdown in the last two or three months has been has been so hard to, to deal with, really, because, uh, you know, I just miss the, the social element of, of, of being involved in, in football and people around West Bromwich Albion Football Club now that I've, I've got to know really well mm. um, and hopefully um, when the game you know, restarts in a in a few days time or at, you know the 20th of June that uh, that hopefully you know West Brom will go on and uh, and complete the job that uh, that Billich has, has started but uh, yeah that like City back in the day they're a really good club to 
to deal with. And I say I can't speak highly enough of uh, of Slavon Bilic. He's been um, absolutely superb so far. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say Baggy's looking good for a Premier League return. Mm. Do you think they'll be able to stay there this time, or are they going to sort of continue continue the yo-yo? Yeah, well, I'd say that they were there for for eight seasons before they they got relegated um, the season before last. So. They kind of shook that that tag off a, a wee bit, but mm. it is going to. As every season passes, people know that it becomes a harder and harder struggle to to stay in the Premier League because of the the incredible amount of you know money that's that's swilling around in the game now. Um, so Albion will go into to next season if Touchwood they go up with with the intention a bit like City, I suppose, in the Championship really of. Of trying to consolidate and then and then build from there. I mean, the, you know, the Albion squad will need a, a fair amount of uh, of investment to uh, to bring forward into the the Premier League next season. But um, as long as Bilic stays, I think you know the, the players that he's currently got at his disposal really respect him. They you know, they're clearly playing for him. A lot of the the victories that they, they've had. Um, so far this season, but like any squad coming out of the Championship into the Premier League, they will need to invest a fair amount of money to have a, a competitive chance of, of staying there. As will City in the in the Championship next season. I think Dave Body's already gone on record as saying it's going to be, you know, quite difficult with the the wage bill and that yeah. um, to to stay in Championship football. But you know that that's got to be the the first. And the main aim, because having worked so hard to to get back into the second tier, we don't want to be dropping straight Absolutely. back into the into the third one again, do we? Really? Yeah, exactly. Like once you build that momentum, you've got to keep no. sort of aiming upwards, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask this one for the listeners, Rob. Are, are Villa right. doomed this season? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, there's a bit, there's a little bit of a of a, of a personal interest here because when I I went to to WM, I got to um, know Dean Smith quite well who was the Warsaw manager at the time for, for quite a number of years um, and I, I did a fair amount of, of, of Warsaw games for a while I got to know Dean quite well so that I'd like for, for his sake I'd like to see Villa survive but you know we have got a score to, to settle boys haven't we from from Ooh. 2001 mm. so I mean if we were to both end up in the in the same division next season I, I'd look forward to uh, to both those Matches with uh, mm. with some relish. Unfortunately, I think if that happens, then then Dean Smith wouldn't be the the manager of, uh, yeah. of Aston Villa next season. So I'm a little bit torn just because I you know I, I know the guy quite well. I know what a what a lovely fella he is. But yeah, um, yeah it's heart ruling head, I suppose. Yeah, we we, we want to see him in the yeah, same think, division uh, so we can get a little bit of revenge for 2001, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Do. I think I think a few City fans are eyeing up that away trip for next year. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see yeah. what happens. It's amazing though, actually, that, that, that we've never we haven't played them at all since since that day mm. in, in two thousand and one, isn't it? I mean, I know it happens up and down the country quite a lot, but for you know, it's been nineteen years and, and counting, and not uh, never having uh, played them since that day is is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's true because you know we've played some big clubs even in the cups, like you think like yeah. Spurs and Chelsea and right. West Ham dropped down, and but yeah, we just seem to have never drawn Villa in any cups, unfortunately. No. But, oh, but no, yeah. it's incredible, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Working, obviously, in the Birmingham clubs, you must be strange seeing the Sky Blues at St Andrews, Rob. Um, what do you what do you make of that, first of all? And um, 
do you manage to get to uh, see many games of the Sky Blues, or do you still look out for the results? Well, obviously oh, yeah, you look course, out for yeah, the results. Of course yeah, I do. yeah, of course. yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a mad, a mad keen fan still. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah, I, I always want to know what what City are doing. You know, when almost the, the second I, I put my microphone down on on a, on a game, if I've been commentating on and City have been playing, I want to know what um, what the results been. You know, of course I do. Mm. Um, but it's a personal viewpoint I never went to Sixfields um, no. for a home game in inverted commas when we played there and I, I wouldn't go to St Andrews for inverted commas home game mm. um, when we played at um, at Birmingham and I won't condemn anybody for, for doing that it's, it's a personal choice um, but you know for me if you're talking about home matches that then those games should be played um, in the in the city of Coventry, I've been to St Andrews once. Um, that was for the, the the cup replay, but of course, technically, that was an away game. Was the, uh, was <laughs> Get the away replay. with that one. Um, and I was I was working that night, so okay. um, that's the only time I've 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 been to to St Andrews um, this season. I say it's a personal choice if people want to go. I'm not going to condemn people for for going. Um, you know, they want to follow the team. Of course, I I understand that, um, but my own personal opinion is um, I wouldn't go to six fields and you know, hopefully both Wasps and the Sky Blues can come to some sort of mutual agreement and we can be back at the Rico at least for for next season but it, if if we continue to be in exile then then I won't go to uh, to home games because I don't think it's right. It's, it's just a strange one for me. I don't understand mm. the whole stance, not just Wasp, but whoever is at fault in this situation. Yeah, and people, well, the, ca- people the council, point. obviously, it's a, it's a three-way thing now. Isn't it, it is. With, yeah. with Wasps, the football club and and the council all all have some blame, if you like, for, um, for this situation. Again, I'm not being wise after the event. People that, that know me will know. I've said this for years and years and years. Personally speaking, I, I didn't really understand why we wanted to leave Highfield Road in the first place. Agreed. That, that's my that's my honest opinion. I thought yeah. for us it was, you know, our spiritual home. It felt like the right place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and on very few occasions when I've been to the Rico, as it felt properly like home. I mean, there have been a few occasions. I mean, you know, the crew. JPT semi-final was a, mm. was a, a tremendous night. I've, I've seen quite a few um, local derbies against the likes of, of Birmingham and, and West Brom, where you know the place has been um, really vibrant. Um, the Notts County semi-final wasn't wasn't bad. I thought a, a couple of years ago, but mm. you can kind of you can count those occasions really on the on the fingers of. Of one hand, I mean, ironically, the, the Gillingham game when we came back to the, the Rico after the, the exile in Northampton, that was such a, you know, an emotional night. It, it was, you know, just I remember being in floods of tears when when um, Frank Nublé scored that that goal. You know, just because of what it meant to what it meant to everybody. You know, that night. But you, mm-hmm. you know, the point I'm trying to make. You can count those occasions <clears throat> where it's felt like the club's proper home. I think. Yeah almost on the fingers of one hand, whereas Highfield Road felt different. I'm from a generation that, that was brought up, you know, watching their football at Highfield Road. And I didn't really understand why we wanted to, to leave that place 
in the first instance. You see the point I'm trying to make? No, I do. Um, I'm yeah. from the same era. I grew up yeah. watching the Sky Blues, you know, at Highfield Road. And the going to the Rico now um, is just not the same, like you say. It doesn't have the same feel. Um, it doesn't have the same history as mm. Highfield Road. And it just doesn't feel like home. And um, obviously, we need to get back to playing in Coventry, which is important. Um, and we need to do that as soon as possible. But I don't know what's going to happen with the Rico and what they can do to make it a more homely place. I just don't know. But it, like you said, I totally agree with you. It just does does not feel like Highfield Road, and, and never will in my eyes. And, and it's just, it's just the, it's the it's the you know the, the silly things like you know if, even if you went to the 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 game on the train or you know mm. you went on the bus or whatever, you, you could get off and sort of be a, a twenty minute walk, you know, fifteen twenty minute walk away from. I feel road now you you know we know the situation with the trains at the Rico mm. I mean you literally need a car now to be able to to be able to get there do you know what I mean yeah, it's it, 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 the whole match day experience I think feels completely different to yeah. to what it did at, at Highfield I'm not it's one of these people that you know is is completely against progress of any kind whatsoever and I understand to a certain degree, why the club wanted to to do what it did. I mean, if you remember, mm. they were also touting themselves as the home for the, the national stadium. You know, that's where the the project kind of, yeah. kind of overtook itself. You know, it, it it sort of was running before it could it, it could crawl at that point. And I, I just think that everybody sort of overstretched themselves and, and thought, you know, we, we were on the way to to being you know, this this massive entity, which, of course, you know, we've got a huge history. We're a fantastic football club. But you've got, to me, you've got to learn to 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 live within your means and, and almost Absolutely. be satisfied with what you've got, mm. you know. And, and going back to the Rico in the short term has got to be the thing to do. But ultimately, they, they do, you know, if they're not going to come to any long-term agreement with, with wasps, if they're still not going to have any financial, you know, kind of stake in in the stadium at all, mm. then they need to leave completely and 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 build somewhere else that is going to feel like like home again. But I, I, you know, you can't turn back the clock now. We know Eiffel Road doesn't exist. It's the it's a little housing estate in Hillfields now. Um, so that that's not going to happen. But but you know, a little part of me as a, as a city fan did kind of you know die. When when we left that place, because it because it mm. just it just felt like um, our natural home. Whereas now, even if we went back to the Rico, that still doesn't feel like our natural home to me. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think a lot of Sky Blue fans feel the same way. On our Twitter page, we we put out a lot of historic moments of Highfield Road, and the reaction we get to that is the same, and and it's worked very well received. So yeah. I think a lot of people feel the same as yeah, obviously yourself and myself and Tom. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, Andrew. Yeah, I, I can completely concur with that. You know, yes, other clubs, other clubs have had to leave their ground because, um, you know, it was effectively falling apart. Um, whereas Highfield Road wasn't. I mean, if you remember that... No, great little ground, yeah, wasn't the, it? The, the, East, mm. the East End was only about 10 years old when they, yeah. they ripped yeah. it down, wasn't it? I mean, it was, mm. it was ridiculous, really. I think there was... Okay, limited, but th- th- there would have been room for for, for further expansion there. I, I don't think you needed to to move lock, stock, and barrel to no. to the Rico. But you know that's ancient history. Now we, we've been there, well, yeah. on and off 
<laughs> for the last 15 years. And uh, and hopefully we'll be we'll be back there again soon, at least in the short term. But long, but medium and longer term, as I said, fellas, you know, the solution for me is is for the club to to find another piece of land um, and build their own stadium that they can call their own. Otherwise, you know, these same problems are going to keep recurring if if we're not careful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Rob. Mm. Moving on to this season. Um, yeah. What job, you know, obviously Mark Robbins has done a fantastic job getting us promoted. Mm. What's your view on Mark? I think, well, he's just done a phenomenal job, hasn't he? I mean, you know, coming in um, when we got to, to Wembley and the, the checker trade final, OK, you know, he didn't take much credit for that, but, um, but you know, won a trophy within a few weeks of uh, of coming back to the club was a, was a terrific way to start. Um and then he, he's just done a, a tremendous job. I think everybody that you talk to within the game says the same. The fact that City have been in these incredibly you know, trying circumstances where they haven't been playing in their own stadium, um, his budget hasn't been massive by any stretch of the imagination. But to, to go from League Two to, to the Championship in, in three seasons has, has, has just been a, you know, a fantastic turnaround from him because we know that the club was on its knees um, mm. when we were relegated to to League Two and it, off the back of the, the checker trade win that was a little bit of a, a boost that everybody needed I think but for then for him then to, to go on and, and achieve um, promotion the next season you know the biggest club in the in the fourth division as you know as was um, for us to, to go up okay through the playoffs it was the it's the best route to do it, isn't it, boys? Through mm. the playoffs, if you can guarantee success, it's the worst way to lose, but the but the best way to to win promotion. And um, and yeah, the game against Exeter was just uh, another superb memory, and even well, not an even better memory, but an equal equally good memory I've got of that season is the the, the game at Meadow Lane. I don't know whether either of you went to to Notts County that night, but it was uh, yeah, was it was just. Unreal. I mean, you know, City were absolutely um, unplayable that night. Mark McNulty, you know, Tom Bayliss, Max Beam, yeah. you know, the whole the whole nine yards. That they they were just, scored. they were just, you know, just phenomenal. That that's one of the best memories I've got of, of recent times watching City was that the second leg of that game at uh, at Meadow Lane and the celebrations afterwards with the, the fans all along that. You know the one stand on the fast because I was lucky enough to to be in the the press box again that night. So watching all the city fans on the on the far side of Meadow Lane was tremendous. But then to go to Wembley and, and be part of it with my you know wife and kids now you know having been um, there as a fan so many times in the past that was tremendous as well. Um, and for him to then bring the team up this season, everybody knows it's not the way that anybody wanted to do it. Um, we'd have all liked to have have, have done it the, the proper way, if you like, by uh, by winning the the games fair and square on the field. But uh, that's not been been possible in the in the current circumstances. But to only lose three matches all season and, and to be denied promotion was never going to happen. You know that that no. is a, a terrific record um, at whatever division of football you, you're playing in. So Robbins can feel, you know, justifiably. Proud of himself, Lady Vivash and, and all the players, mm. and uh, and hopefully next season. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Dave Body was saying, you know, try and consolidate in the championship and then build from there. I think that's got to be the 
the right way to go. I think it's, mm. it's fanciful for, for people to expect that we're going to romp the championship and end up in the Premier League this time <laughs> next year. be great to think so if uh, if we were to do it, but uh, I, I don't think that's realistic by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So uh, so I think it's, it's consolidation. It's trying to stay in the championship and, and let's see where things can, can take us from there. But mm. uh, I know Mark Robin signed a, a new contract fairly recently because Sunderland were... Uh, were strongly linked with him earlier in the season, but uh, whatever you know, contract the, the the club offer him now is not uh, is not good enough almost because I, I think he he has done a an unbelievable job. I understood why he left the the first time. I think you know, with the benefit of hindsight now, he probably maybe got wind of some of the the things that were were happening um, vis a vis going to Northampton possibly, or the, you know the problems with the with the the Rico were uh, were coming to a head, so you could understand when Huddersfield came in for him the first time, maybe why he, he turned his back. But I think he, he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for for sticking with the club through through this period that uh, that he's been presiding mm. over now. And uh, you know we've got second tier football back again after eight years away, and 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 that you know is a, a, a tremendous tremendous achievement that he should feel justifiably proud of and hopefully he's going to be with us for you know a little while yet and maybe for, fulfill everyone's dream of, of getting back in the Premier League again mm, that'd be brilliant wouldn't it yeah and um, just sort of looking ahead to the championship obviously everyone started talking about budgets and wages and all this kind yeah. of stuff um, I was actually looking at a table yesterday for it mm. was the wage budgets for last season's championship clubs um, I was pretty staggered to see that Villa's budget was 83 million yeah. last season their wage budget and Rotherham in the same league were on 8 million mm. so clearly a massive gulf in that league um, I guess it just shows you know how hard it is going to be for the Sky Blues next season yeah there is I mean that there is a there is a huge discrepancy I mean you know there'll be some some big clubs still who won't um, emerge from the championship this season into the the Premier League I mean hopefully from my point of view West Brom will I think Leeds probably will and then you know you've got one of Fulham, Brentford, Forest, maybe um, as as one of the other um, promoted teams, but that still leaves you with 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 quite a lot of um, big sides in the championship, mm. notwithstanding those that that come down from the from the Premier League as well. And and it's not been lost on me that the clubs that have struggled in the the championship this season are, you know, the ones that that came up from from League One last season. So, you know, there has got to be uh, a lot of adaptation um, very very quickly to to life in a in a new division and I, I think with parachute payments it, it becomes very very difficult for for clubs who haven't got parachute payments from from the Premier League to to make a serious impact mm. in the championship really because you know those clubs that that come down out of the Premier League for well certainly the first two seasons where they get you know, a, a pretty good slice of the cake. It, it tails off a little bit in the third season, but you've still got some sort of financial guarantee yeah. for three years coming out of the Premier League. And for so, a, a club coming out of League One, it becomes very, very difficult to to compete on an even playing field. So, you know, Robbins is going to have to work his magic again. I mean, I think he, he has done a, a terrific job. He's, he's got the best out of, you know, with all due respect, one or two 
um, players that you, you wouldn't have necessarily thought were going to make a, a much of an impact yeah, yeah, um, for for City. And he's worked the loan market very well. And I think he's going to have to do that mm. um, again next season to to, to get City on, a, on an even keel in the, in the championship, I think. Mm. We've seen football change a lot over the last 20 years, Rob. Um, yeah. How has commentary and football reporting evolved in that time? Um, a hell of a lot. I mean, when I first started, you were on literally a glorified telephone that you used to to plug into mm. into a phone line, um, stick some headphones on, and you know, and away you'd go. Basically, um, now it, it's it's a bit more scientific. I mean, you know, we still use um, something called ISDN, where basically you, you you've got a, a box of tricks that you dial a number from. You you stick a lead in one end, you stick the lead the other end of the lead in the in the point in the press box and away you go and that, that brings the kind of the studio quality of the of the sound if you like to uh, to people's homes through the radio um i mean technology's evolved a hell of a lot you know smartphones uh, you've got various sort of apps that you can you can kind of you know do commentaries on now if the, if the worst came to the worst and you um your technicals wouldn't work for whatever reason um and I think there's a lot more scrutiny on 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 people now because there are so many more outlets where you can you can go for for your football fix now. So so there is, you know, a lot more um, spotlight on broadcast professionals, if you like, to um, to pull out their A game you know, every week. And I like to think that. You know, I, I do that more often than not. There's still, you know, I, I'm, I'm my own worst critic, really. I, there's still games that I come back from and think, well, I didn't do that very well. And there's all the other games that I think, well, yeah, that wasn't too bad. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've still got that kind of self-appraisal that I do. I, I probably, in fact, listen, because, of, you know, the way smartphones and whatever technology has evolved, there are more ways of kind of listening back to yourself yeah, and critiquing yeah. yourself now than than there were you know years and years ago because we're in a, a 24 7 um culture now and social media i haven't got my own twitter account simply because um you know i, I to be honest i you know i, I wouldn't trust myself not to uh, to answer back to to one or two people so i, I could yeah. find myself in a bit of disciplinary trouble if i wasn't careful so that's the reason why i haven't got my own social media account but people quickly let you know um, if they like you or they don't like you. Um, and, and that was never the case, really, unless somebody, you know, phoned you up and had a go at you on the radio before. It used to kind of slip under the radar a bit. Now, um, there's no hiding place, if you like, and, and people have got their, their own opinions and uh, and aren't very um, slowing in, in airing them. But, um, but no, I mean, the game has, has changed a hell of a lot and, and the way that we cover it has, has changed a hell of a lot as well. But I still say that, a game described really well on the radio is as good as, as being there in person. That's what I'm trying. I don't always do it, but that's what I'm trying to achieve when yeah, when I go yeah, yeah. to a match is trying to make that experience almost as good as as being there in person. I still believe that, as I say, a, a game very well described on the radio is almost as good as as being there yourself. Yeah, and we're in even stranger times now, obviously with. Um, you know, with some of the German games happening, but the commentators are obviously watching it from home on on the TV. Yeah, um, I was actually watching the Leverkusen Bayern Munich game the other day. I don't know if you were watching it, but they actually missed a goal because obviously they're relying on the TV coverage yes. and the director hadn't yeah. cut properly to the to the goal, <laughs> yeah. um, which was a little well, bit awkward. So 
it just kind of goes to show the importance of actually being in the stadium. That's right. Well, that, that's that's one of the yeah, that's one of the perils of, of, of trying to do um, behind closed doors games. Now, I mean, hopefully, we are going to, as the BBC, are going to be able to to go to the the matches for the you know the, the conclusion of this um, this current season because you know trying to do it off off a TV screen is very very hard. I've done it once or twice for, for cable you know, commentary cable TV way back in the day in the, the very um, you know early days of, of my career and that was very very difficult I remember uh, and nothing beats you know being in a stadium itself because you, you've got that that whole kind of um, experience of, of your own vision that your peripheral vision and, and you you can spot things sometimes that the that the TV cameras don't always mm. um, pick up so so nothing beats actually being at the at the ground itself, definitely. Yeah, I guess sort of having that peripheral vision of the whole ground, the atmosphere. Yeah. You, sort of, you almost feel it and you're That's able to right, contact yeah. it better. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's much better than trying to do it off a off a TV screen. I mean, that's going to be really hard, though. As somebody that's never done a behind-closed-doors game before, I'm going to find that really, really difficult, I think, in the in the coming weeks because, you know, like the players, I think commentators kind of, you know, feed off the off the crowd, feed off the atmosphere, that, you know, makes you raise your game sometimes. So when you haven't got any atmosphere at all, and it, it's going to be, you know, a wholly different experience and quite a challenge, certainly for the first couple of weeks, to um, to try and do it well, really. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, I'm sure we could talk about football all night. It's yeah. been brilliant <laughs> yeah. having you on the show um, to share your Sky <laughs> Blue story. Um, I'd just like to say on behalf of the thousands of Coventry City fans, thanks for your passionate commentary, punditry, phone-ins and more whilst working for Mercer and CWR. You really were an iconic voice for so many Coventry fans over the years. Well, Tom and Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure. It really has. And uh, any time, fellas, feel free to uh, to call me up. It's been a you know, been tremendous reliving some of my uh, my best memories, you know, behind the microphone and, and, and on the terraces and in the stands as a, as a Sky Blues fan. It's been uh, it's been great to to talk to you both. So thank you very much indeed for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. And listeners, don't forget you can join in the conversation by liking, sharing, and commenting on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. Just use the hashtag SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.